What's up, everybody? It is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, for another edition of our Cut the Shit, Get Fit podcast, vlog, video, YouTube show thing that I've been doing. And I'm super psyched because one, as you can tell, I am not in my little training area. I am in our living room, so appreciate all my wife's plants, as you can see in the background. And don't mind the giant ring of like, whatever this is. It's the ring light, it's super embarrassing. So I'm gonna try to like cover my body. Um, today, we are actually gonna go over some programming because the biggest thing that I've seen um, through Instagram, Facebook that I um, get in messages and comments is kind of on the lines of exercise selection, training, and a lot of times when I get into conversations with my listeners and viewers, it's all about um, their programming. And a lot of times people are following stuff that has been kind of outdated or they're going back to your typical like bodybuilding split that doesn't really necessarily give you um, the best uh, outcomes when it comes to training. And you know if you've been following my stuff for a while, I'm more so on the functional side, and I put that in air quotes, and um, kind of leaning towards uh, exercises that prevent any kind of injury that may happen. And a good example of that is a lot of times when people are pressing overhead, people tend to get sore shoulders, and you know, simply being that when you're a general population person, you most likely have some sort of job where you are sitting down for long periods of time and your shoulder mobility, thoracic mobility is probably not the best it should be at and now you are placing strength over dysfunction and lo and behold, we have injury. So that being said, I'm going to literally demonstrate um, how I program and I'm thinking of kind of creating almost like this linear path of progression. And I can show you how I can take the most simplest program for a beginner that focuses on the foundations and how I can kind of stack on top of the skill set that someone would develop following that phase for say four to six weeks. And then any person that I see, no matter where their level's at, I can scale it up or down really, really quickly. And I think this is going to help many, many people out there when it comes to figuring out um, a program that's gonna keep them healthy and more days in the gym. And that means more um, successful outcomes when it comes to your weight loss goals, fat loss goals, strength, whatever it is. Um, so we're gonna get started. So. Let's assume that I have somebody brand new. I've taken them through an assessment and there's nothing like, holy shit, your knee is really messed up and there's stuff that we need you to go figure out with a therapist. Let's just say you're a typical person that has some aches and pains, that is the typical person that sits at a desk all day and when I took you through an assessment, there's going to be certain things that I'm going to attack, most likely shoulder mobility, T-spine mobility, and hip mobility for this program. So how I like to structure 
my workouts. I was trying to put my cap on and I could not do it. Um, I follow the same kind of, um, I mean, I really hate this ring thing here. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's reflecting. Um, Change the angle of the thing. What do you mean the angle? Angle the thing differently. Oh, I see what you mean. That. It kind of solves it. Now the, the ring is a little bit further, but now I have more room. So if I like wrote there, okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, so that being said, um, I follow the same programming style that uh, Alan and Rachel Cosgrove at Results Fitness utilize. And when it comes to general population programming for fat loss and strength, they are the number one resource that I follow. So I'm gonna literally steal exactly the same things that they do. And I've been doing it for the last eight years of my career and people have been moving better, feeling better, losing weight. So not let's not try to reinvent the wheel. Um, so what we're going to do is kind of have this first section. I really hope that's not nearly as big as I should have been writing. My bad. So first exercise. We're going to label this as A1. Yeah, you can see it. <laughs> um, what I'll do with every single person is a dead bug and then I like to couple that with a half kneeling anti-rotation press so the reasoning behind this little set we always start off with kind of like a core series and one it kind of almost preps your body for all the other stuff that's going to happen because we all know that if our core is not strong enough or isn't firing or activating then the rest of the exercises that we choose tend to suck so in this case we are kind of priming the body so after we've done the warm-up and i maybe that could be another episode that i could get into um after we do the warm-up now this is kind of like our priming um first set of just two exercises back to back and the reason why i always choose the dead bug is it's one of those vital exercises especially a core exercise that teaches an individual how to stabilize the body while in a dynamic movement pattern so it works primarily for rotary stability anti-extension if you look at human beings we walk in an opposite hand and opposite leg kind of pattern and the dead bug tends to um, do the same kind of concept and my wife just rolled over some more um, markers but does the black one work better oh i think the black is going to be so much better especially for you guys um so rotary spilly super 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 important and this also gives me the opportunity to teach someone how to utilize a diaphragmic breath and i find that so many people forget that um sequence and kind of foundational pattern because a lot of gym bros or people that are 
uh, fitness enthusiasts, if you ask them how do you create um, tension in your body or how do you turn on your core or how do you create a bracing strategy when you deadlift or squat, I never get a good answer. And most of the time people just look at me like I'm speaking a different language. So when I start off with every single person in a dead bug, I have an opportunity to teach that person how to diaphragmically breathe, how to brace properly, and be more in tune with their body. And that's probably the biggest struggle for anyone starting exercises. They have no idea how to control and move their body. And they almost become like this awkward being in the gym when they're trying to do a new exercise. So literally the dead bug kind of sets the tone for every bit of exercise that we're about to do and lays down like the true foundation because if you can't properly brace during a dead bug there's no chance in hell that you're going to be properly able to brace for something as advanced as a barbell deadlift and you're going to lead to a lot of injury so that's why i put in the dead bug which is so, so crucial. And it can be so many different variations. So say I have a brand new person, never been into a gym in their life, has never exercised, and they're starting like negative zero, like as, like as low as possible. Um, maybe their dead bug variation will just be breathing. Maybe it's the dead bug position with just the legs at 90 degrees while they're holding their um, torso, and breathing into their hands. Maybe it's you know, holding their hands out with the legs up in the uh, dead bug position and they're just dropping their heel one at a time because maybe extending with the full leg and full arm actually hurts the lower back and they just don't have the prerequisites to actually hold that threshold for intra-abdominal pressure. So the dead bug is kind of, Again, almost that scaling idea where it might be just breathing or it might be the full dead bug. So it really depends on the person. Um, from there, I like to couple that with something called a half kneeling anti-rotation press or pal-off press, whatever you want to say. The reason behind that, so this is a anti-rotation um, core exercise. And the reason why I like doing it in a half kneel, and I've said this in blogs, I've said this in previous episodes, but anytime you're in a half kneel, you are teaching your body how to stabilize through its hip complex in conjunction with their so-called core. And if I can get an exercise where it kind of kills two birds with one stone, like why not? And a lot of times too, it's kind of a precursor to any kind of lunge movement. So when you're in a half kneel, it literally resembles you in a lunge position at the bottom. And many times when I get someone brand new, a body weight split squat or lunge can smoke them. So another way to increase their leg strength is being in that half kneel position and how to set up for this. And I have tutorials on my YouTube page. So look up anything half kneel tutorial. It will showcase why it's so important. But the cliff notes is when you drive that first leg, closer to your midline, now you're challenging your body to stabilize. Again, you're feeding information to your nervous system on how to stabilize, activate the core, create tension, bracing strategy, everything. So we're taking this whole core section here in um, our program to one, teach our body how it needs to stabilize for more dynamic movements that we're gonna cover later in this uh, workout. So 
now you can see that there's two different body positions, you lying in a supine position and then you in an upright half kneeling position. And again, if you go into the kind of um, the developmental stages of a baby to toddler walking, like you're literally resetting your nervous system on how to get into uh, a gait cycle when you're in a half kneel position. But that's a whole nother episode that I could get into and I can talk a lot about. So let's move on. Um, Typically here, I will do, you know, two to, oh, this marker is kind of not the greatest. Two to three sets. Hopefully you can see that. That's like, just terrible. Don't worry about it. It says two to three uh, sets. Again, you can go eight to 10 reps or so. My uh, dog Misty is kind of grumpy and I think I'm talking too loud she's right in front of us um, so next section this is what I consider to kind of like the meat and potatoes of the workout oh yeah it looks a lot clearer um, I always teach people as a foundational pattern I was about to put down binge for some reason. Hip hinge, not hip binge. Thinking about food, that's why. All right, so hip hinge and something called TRX rows. So in this section, is usually the priority um, of the workout for me in my mind. And I'm gonna star this. Every single person, I need to teach them how to hip hinge, AKA how to deadlift. So the biggest thing, and this is so apparent in the clinic setting, is anytime I get a low back pain patient, every single person I've seen have yet to discover this and maybe someone else in the industry who works in a clinic setting can prove me wrong, but every single low back patient has no idea how to push their hips back into a deadlift position. It just does not compute with how their body moves and they tend to fall into that typical um, overly like flexion pattern. And you can do a small mini assessment. If you just ask someone to touch their toes with their knees locked out, you'll find very quickly if someone's always using their lumbar spine to reach down for things when they just bend at their spine and they don't push their hips back, whereas a typical toe touch to pass that assessment, you'll see people push their hips back as they reach uh, down to their toes. And usually those are the people who have better body awareness and have maybe played a sport or whatever it is. Um, but that being said, all low back people who've had pain, they need to learn how to hip hinge and even, um, people that are athletic who go through like a low back flare up, it almost changes the whole kind of mechanism and sequence of how they're actually gonna reach down for something. So learning the hip hinge is so, so vital for so many other things moving up. So how I teach the hip hinge, um, I've been using a dowel quite a bit, and I'm not talking about the one where you have it on your low back, your shoulder blades and your head, and you're kind of doing that bowing thing. I actually get them at a deadlift position, but from the top down. And teaching them one, 
what we just learned in our first set when it comes to creating tension, um, holding on to the dowel, thinking of breaking it apart and engaging your core, and sliding the um, dowel down to around your kneecap depth, and then driving up through the glutes and squeezing. Now, doing that over and over and over again will kind of now create a new movement behavior, and that's gonna help a lot as we move down into um, other exercises, because I want this person to eventually deadlift heavy. And every single person that I take through this kind of foundational program, within four months they are deadlifting at least with a trap bar or a barbell deadlift, because we've worked this pattern so well that it's so solid that when I place them under load, their body understands what to do is to resist it. And again, our spines are designed to resist movement. So if I am prepping it up here with these core exercises to teach how my spine needs to stabilize, now when I go into my deadlift uh, position of any kind of variation, my body's like, all right, I already know what to do and I can challenge it. Going from there, I like to go into TRX rows or some sort of rowing variation but I think the T-Rex row is one of those ones that teaches a lot to someone new to exercise, is learning how to stack their joints in proper positions, joint centration, grip strength, um, how to retract the scaps, neck stability, all those things are covered in this one exercise. And I really like coupling it back and forth. And now, if you really think about it, this is how I kind of go into my creative process when I'm training somebody is that if I have someone brand new that's never learned how to hip hinge and I need to teach them and constantly reinforce it, I'm going to throw in other exercises that reinforces it. We already covered that this dead bug and half kneeling anti-rotation press is reinforcing the hip hinge indirectly because I'm teaching my person in front of me how to engage their core and stabilize their spine. And now with the T-Rex row, if you think about it, when you're doing a heavy deadlift, you need to be in a joint-centrated position, meaning your shoulders are packed, you're hiding your armpits and squeezing your lats. You are creating as much tension on your posterior chain as possible because you have a weight in front of you that needs to come off the floor. The TRX row does exactly that. If you think of digging your heels into the ground, you're activating your hamstrings, your glutes, you're driving your hips forward, you're squeezing the handles as hard as possible to ensure your glenohumeral joint is packed and sucked back. The TRX row is literally like a deadlift, if you really think about it. And now I'm just reinforcing it in a different pattern, right? This is where my creativity comes out when I want to ensure that people become like bulletproof, ironclad bodies, AKA selfish plug for my new book coming out this summer, hopefully. But again, it all depends on the person. Say that hip hinge looks perfect. I might within like a week or two load it to like a sumo deadlift, whatever it is, but that's how it is. Um, we're going to go into the next section and rep sets again, like two to three times. And I always give a gauge of like eight to 12 reps. And I'll explain that in a second. So we're gonna go into the next section. So the 
first exercise is a single arm uh, dumbbell, if I can spell properly. Floor press. Split squats, rope, face, pull. Wow, I can't spell. All right, so in this section, it's a nice little strength set. And I'll explain um, why I chose these exercises. And I'm going to bring this down a little bit so you can see at the bottom. That's not going down. Now it's going down. Perfect. Um, and I can't write straight, obviously, either. Um, the first one, if I know that this individual is someone that's sitting in their desk, taking them onto a bench where they probably don't have enough thoracic extension to lay down somewhat in a neutral position, it's going to crank on their lumbar spine. and guaranteed you probably have had a um, scenario where you've laid down on the bench and you're oh hi miss what are you what are you doing where the low back just doesn't feel the greatest and sometimes you have to move your feet in different positions or maybe put your feet on the bench and now you're missing what did you have something to say <laughs> um now your lumbar spine is not feeling the greatest so i always go onto a floor press um, the second thing is that, oh, and I forgot to write with glue bridge. Ugh, come on. The second reason, doing a floor press. Most people who are sitting, oh, hi. All right, so we're going to do it this way. Um, most people that are sitting in a desk all day, they probably don't have good shoulder mobility. So if I had someone with those rounded shoulders like I've been always talking about in my podcast, and now I place them on a bench where I have to take a dumbbell and come down, this shoulder is gonna start popping forward and a lot of people get anterior shoulder pain. So if I can prevent that from happening as much as possible while strengthening up all that musculature involved with any kind of shoulder and chest movement, then it's like, I'm thinking way ahead already. Um, so the nice thing with floor presses is that you physically have the floor stopping you from going beyond your controlled range of motion or any kind of positions that may um, make the shoulder be put in a more vulnerable, uh, vulnerable position. So now that I'm going just to 90, I now know that every single rep I'm controlled. I don't have to worry about any kind of aches or pains or twinges or flare ups or whatever it is. So we have that going for us. Now, the other thing that I added and wrote terribly is a glute bridge. So I want people to be in a um, glute bridge for an extended period of time to again, reinforce the deadlift position. Everyone's posterior uh, chain is so weak in the general population that a lot of times when it comes to glute bridges or any kind of like exercise that involves um, glutes, hamstrings or things like that, 
things don't fire the way they should and a lot of people whoa jeez miss you scared me um you can hear something outside can't you um a lot of people tend to feel things in their low back and hamstrings and glutes kind of get the worst of it so that being said if i can reinforce that posterior through uh, the hip hinge, the glute bridge, the TRX rows, I'm just throwing more fuel to the fire that's gonna make this per person successful and strong. So that's why I do a single arm dumbbell, dumbbell floor press with a glute bridge and this last section of the workout. The next thing that we're gonna do is split squats. And again, it can be body weight, dumbbell, goblet, whatever you wanna do. But again, split squats for a brand new person I'm not adding a lunge in there just yet. They have not earned the right or prerequisite to add a locomotion there. Not yet. We wanna build a good foundational base, so why not get the person really strong in a split squat position? And it leaves a little room for error, because again, with a lunge, there's so many more variables to it. You're adding a little bit more balance to it. You're adding the variance of where the back foot is going to go, and a lot of times, people don't even have the ankle mobility or the big toe um, mobility that's required to get into a lunge position. So you'll notice that a lot of people when they do lunges, like their foot almost, almost like caves in because they don't have enough toe extension and ankle dorsiflexion to get into that position. So it kind of goes all over the place. So if I can slow it down and really focus on that fundamental pattern of just a split squat, boom, I'm solid. Lastly, but not least, is a cable rope face pull. Now, I love face pulls. It works all those postural muscles that so many of us need, because again, we're all here all freaking day. So if I can get people to retract back and work all those small little muscles over and over and over again, then that's where I'm gonna see a lot of success. And again, if you think about a barbell deadlift, a lot of people, when they try to get into those near maximal loads, what happens is that those postural muscles kind of collapse forward, so they almost look like they have a rounded uh, upper back. But if I can, again, from the get-go, start everyone off with um, exercise that reinforces that you know rhomboid, mid-trap, low-trap area to be strong, when we're gonna place ourselves under high loads, our body is prepped. It knows what's, uh, what it needs to be done to kind of get there. So that's why I have the rope face pull. And again, I'll have two to four sets in this section. And again, I do eight to 12 reps. And the reason why, you will read so many different um, programming books where they have like really specific um, rep ranges and things like that. but. For the general population, I personally think it does not matter that if you are doing six reps, you're not just training for like brute strength and power compared to like eight to 12 reps where it's just purely hypertrophy or 12 to 15 reps is freaking endurance. When it comes to someone who's brand new to exercise or someone that's been training only for a couple of years, their training age is so young that their body's not gonna know the difference between, between those rep ranges. If you have someone who's been training for like 10 years consistently nonstop, hell yes, rep ranges 
like will matter. But in this case, when we're just working with the general population that wants to move, feel better, lose weight and gain a little bit of muscle, whatever rep range you fucking throw on the board or on your Excel spreadsheet or whatever app you're using is still going to help the person reach their goals. So I like using eight to 12 because it's kind of in that in, in between. And I don't go into like six or less with someone new or even someone with um, that's been with me less than six months because people don't know how to load their body just yet. And they tend to use weights that are way too light and they don't get to those near maximal loads like I want them to. So an eight to 12 rep, here's how I kind of um, teach my client how to self-regulate volume. So say they're doing their single arm dumbbell floor press with the glute bridge and they have a 20 pound dumbbell. I tell them, aim for eight, but say as you get to eight reps, it feels really easy. Then I tell them, go up to 12. Say they get to 12 and they're like, honestly, it was kind of still easy. I'm like, great, go to a 25 pound dumbbell and now aim for eight. Maybe eight was just gonna be perfect. Maybe jumping to a 25, you're like, fuck, that is heavy. There's no rule that says that you have to go to eight. You can do seven, you can do six, you can do four. Who fucking cares? And I know I just contradicted myself, but at that point where they're actually struggling, they're getting to that near maximal load, which is the whole point of me um, getting at earlier. But that's how I teach people how to self-regulate when it comes to um, choices of weight or um, even when it comes to like say a day where they had no sleep I tell them like okay go do two sets and just eight reps for everything uh, with the weights that you did last time and it'll still be a lot lower volume compared to uh, what they would usually do but overall like we have covered a lot of stuff here when it comes to creating a uh, program where um, everyone needs to kind of start with. And literally this is almost like exactly what I do with a brand new person that sees me. And I've been doing similarly this exact layout for the last six, seven years and people have been getting strong, they're moving better, feeling better and things like that. And then we progress them along these lines of exercise I've chosen. And I did not think this was gonna take this long, so I think I'm gonna do a part two of it because I did promise to show you how to scale it up for someone who is um, a little bit more advanced or say someone did this for four to six weeks and they're ready to progress. So I'm gonna leave that for a part two. I'm super pumped how much detail we got into today. And like, I feel like I need to drink like a liter of water because my mouth is so dry because I feel like I've been talking nonstop. But that is a basic foundational workout A program. And then next week, I'll uh, show you the part two to it. Um, that is it for me. Thank you for listening. You guys are always so amazing for supporting me. Um, hit the show notes, add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram. If you have not subscribed to my YouTube channel, hit the link in the show notes and put you know, yourself on my lovely subscriber list because I'm almost at 300. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting me. You guys are amazing. Give me a five-star review on any platform you listen in to your podcasts. And that's it for me. Until next time, you guys.